0: A family had all heard a story recently in their church that included the Bible verse. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. It was a confusing idea. Be nice to your enemies. Treat evil with good. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Drink. These commands seemed like really hard things to do. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. The children who were seven and ten were especially puzzled. Why feed your enemy, they asked. Coals on his head? Jacob, the ten-year-old, could easily imagine burning the hair off of an annoying classmate. (laughs) Day after day, Jacob had been coming home from school, complaining about the boy who sat behind him in fourth grade. Michael keeps jabbing me when Mrs. Bailey isn't looking. One of these days when we're out on the playground and she's not looking, I'm really going to let him have it. Right back. His parents thought Michael was really a brat, too. Besides, the teacher should be doing a better job of controlling her class. At dinner one night, when Jacob told the latest tale of being poked, Emily, Jacob's seven year old sister, spoke up, Maybe you should feed Michael. <laughs> Everyone stopped eating and stared. Jacob broke the silence because he's my enemy? His sister nodded. They all looked at each other clearly, a little uncomfortable at the thought of another 10 year old boy being an enemy. He was a pain with a mean streak, but an enemy? An enemy was someone far off in another country and more likely an adult. Jacob asked his parents, so what do you think? Well, one of those weird parent moments. Uh, It has withstood the test of time as ancient wisdom. Maybe you should try it. Do you know what Michael likes to eat? (laughs) If you're going to feed him, you might as well feed him something he likes. Emily asked, does he like goldfish, which happened to be her favorite cheesy snack no does he like cookies asked his mother who happens to like to bake well maybe but anyone you know you can get cookies any old time Jacob answered everyone was quiet thinking jelly beans he shouted Michael loves jelly beans so Jacob bought a bag of jelly beans and took it to school It was a test of sorts so they could see whether enemy feeding really worked. The next day, sure enough, Michael jabbed Jacob in the back. Jacob turned around and slapped the bag of jelly beans on his desk. When the bus dropped Jacob off at home, he ran into the house saying, It worked! It worked! After he jabbed me, I gave him the jelly beans. He was so surprised, he didn't say anything. (laughs) He just took them. But he didn't jab me the rest of the day. Or the next, or the next. In fact, over time, Michael and Jacob became friends. It all started with a little bag of jelly beans. And Jacob also realized that Michael wasn't really his enemy. He was just someone Jacob didn't know. He was someone who needed Jacob to show him how to be a friend. So, this children's teaching story comes from the Quaker tradition a religious people committed to peace and nonviolence. And it's sweet, not just because of the jelly beans, because it does gently what true religious teachings do best. They show you how to subvert the norm. Feed your enemy. Or as the Tao Te Ching states it, I treat those who are good with goodness. I treat also those who are not good with goodness. Thus, goodness is attained. Okay, so here's the blessing and the curse of preparing a sermon titled Enemies and Teachers as your teacher in the past few weeks is having these religious traditions in front of me during the whole crazy American election period. Ha! I imagine more often not dumping hot coals over a few people's heads, especially when I saw that attack ad for the 20th time. Yet this wisdom calls me to examine my anger and rage, my readiness to lump broadly anyone connected with views opposing mine into the enemy category. I watched my own generalized stereotypes immediately kick in, in the blink of my eye, less than half a second. I label politicians and voters ignorant, greedy because they disagree with me. Surely they have no heart. And the, the effect behind these quick judgments is an equally swift elevation of my own stature. By my calculus, in contrast to these enemies, I am wise, I am generous, I am compassionate. I've drawn lines. And created a chasm. Like Jacob, those on the enemy side are people I don't really know. I don't have to bother looking over there for the humanity in these enemies, nor looking very closely at them at the ways I actually resemble them. Aid an enemy. Before you aid a friend to subdue hatred. That's how the Jewish Talmud puts it. Surely the group that wrote those words had not met modern politicians, or the brutes in ISIS, or anyone trying to curtail education, or the anonymous hackers trying to steal our credit card numbers and our identities. Conquer anger by love. Conquer evil by good. Conquer the stingy by giving. Conquer the liar by truth. Is how the Buddha expresses that compassionate subversion of the norm in the face of evil. All these teachings imply we can tip the world balance Toward good and love, away from the destructiveness of enemies, by transforming the other with surprising kindness. So Jacob may have won Michael over with a bag of jelly beans, but we don't hear how Jacob changed. I'm more interested in going beyond surprise to convert the enemy. The fallacy in the equation is the assumption that we can predictably change someone else. And the only person we can truly change is ourselves. Only when we take steps to know ourselves as well as, know ourselves fully, as well as understand, we are never separate from others. Can we begin to work skillfully with our enemies? So a deeper examination of these similar religious instructions shows indeed our enemies have much to teach us. We have to look at our own anger, where it arises, how it arises, what triggers it, Noticing how and where and with whom we become angry becomes a complete curriculum for emotional and spiritual maturity. As one Buddhist teacher puts it, the most important component of the nuclear bomb is anger fueled by hatred. So what is the most challenging aspect of these teachings is finding parts of ourselves in our enemies. Dang. (laughs) To locate the traits we share becomes a roadmap to our own hatred. The inner work of peace building means nothing less than transforming our faults into friends, embracing our shadow selves. We must understand we carry within us both the seeds of destruction and of creation. We are all, all capable of the terrible as well as the sublime. We're human. So I find the Buddhist writings are the most gentle but fierce to help us see our enemies and as as instructors into the parts of ourselves we'd rather not see. It's difficult, ongoing work. Our enemies are a mirror into this hidden morass. All situations teach us, but it's the toughest ones that teach us the most. We might think getting to know ourselves, seeing what makes us angry, and who we consider an enemy as a very ego-centered thing. But when we begin to look closely and honestly at ourselves, we begin to dissolve the false walls that separate us from others. We begin to shorten the imagined distance between our humanity and the seeming inhumanity of our enemies. Our task is to be grateful. Yes, grateful for our enemies, both far and near. They are our teachers. A classroom of humanity I visit regularly always pushes my anger buttons. It offers me a crash course in learning from my enemies many of you know I um, coordinate a rotating roster of ministers who stand twice a week for an hour at reproductive services we stand with other lay people from various congregations we wear purple vests that say clinic clinic escort we serve as witnesses to the painful and difficult decisions women and their families have made to have a surgical or chemically induced abortion. We serve as a different message from the protesters who line both sides of the street for a whole block. They plant signs that say murderer and baby killer. They hoist graphic images of and utero and stillborns. They rush to your car with handfuls of pamphlets. So the picture I want to give you is of that classic military formation, a line of battle with enemy facing enemy. The protesters are not allowed on private property, so they stand in a line in the city easements in front of the clinic, forming a wall of protesters. Every time a client or an employee or a peaceful presence comes to reproductive service, they have to cross this line of battle. The line is meant to intimidate, and it does. There's a clear, physical us-versus-them division. It's very easy to imagine these protesters as the enemy, as my enemy, an enemy to the clinic and their clients. I'm tempted to pick up their tactics. I want to shout back. I want to carry signs. I want to hand out pamphlets. I want to visibly pray and sing to show love is everywhere, including the clinic side of the line. At first, when I did this work, I would walk across the line of battle to rob it of its power. I introduced myself, spoke with the protesters, got to know them a little bit, tried to have a conversation. But over time, I stopped doing it. It was exhausting. But then I realized it actually pulled me away, which is what enemies do, pulled me away when what I was really there to do, which was support the clients. Think of those political attack ads. What are they pulling us away from? Really. So now I wave to acknowledge their presence and their humanity. Namaste. Then I focus my attention on the people with appointments as they drive into the parking lot. So only when there's a lull between clients do I look across that line of battle and imagine all the ways these, quote, enemies are not so different from me. I look for myself in them and they in me. First, we are both passionate, equally passionate about women's reproductive rights we are both willing to get up no matter what the weather hot, cold, rain, snow sun to make our position known we share compassion for these women for their pregnancies for the zygote to the fetus and we are both certain very certain our positions are right right these commonalities are fairly easy to see but then it becomes harder because I'm being so civil when they're being aggressive I can pat myself on the back for my good behavior until I imagine other situations where my single mindedness makes me rude because my view outweighs any methods of niceness I know I'm right. I don't need to listen to anything to change my mind. And I surround myself with like-minded people. As Buddhist nun Pema Chodron points out, by beginning to look so clearly and so honestly at ourselves, at our emotions, at our thoughts, at who we really are, we begin to dissolve the walls that separate us from others, Somehow, all these walls, all these ways of feeling separate from everything else and everyone else are made up of opinions. They are made up of dogma. They're made up of prejudice. These walls come from our fear of knowing parts of ourselves. So each morning I'm there, It's a little different each time. I try to notice what's changed. And I see the various ways their anger actually creates the exact opposite of what they are trying to do. Their anger is frightening and uh, not at all spreading love and compassion. They've turned into monsters of sorts, just as I do when I become enraged. They claim to care for the fetus as potential life, but are cruel to the living, breathing, feeling humans who come to the clinic as well as who work at the clinic. Does one life trump another? When caring for my family or being afraid of a stranger or judging someone from another culture, I know I make similar calculations. These are the places I can look to locate my roots of prejudice and racism. These internal enemies of my spirit will grow and harden if I don't find how they exist in me, unpack their falsehoods, their distorted worldviews, Only then can I begin to accept my own humanity and accept your humanity and accept my enemy's humanity. We're imperfect, we're fabulous, we're deadly, we're loving. So as ender said to his sister, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment, I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. So may your enemies become your teachers. May you understand your enemies enough to love them may you love them so much that when your enemy is hungry you'll feed them when they're thirsty you'll give them drink and if none of that works try jelly beans (laughs) may it be so